Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. How's everybody doing tonight? You all right? Well, we're going to have some fun over the next uh, couple of months, basically. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is marriage. And we're going to cover a lot of ground in this series. So if you're married, you're going to have some fun, and there are going to be some moments that are not so much fun, which here's what that means. It's really fun for God. Just so you know, those kind of moments where you feel like someone is nudging you during one of the points of the message, that's either your wife, your husband, or the Holy Spirit, okay? It's, that's going to be the fun of it. There's going to be a lot of, of challenging stuff through this time. And if you're single, here's what I would say. Take really good notes if it's in your heart to be married one day. Take great, great notes to the extent that you want to have a spectacular marriage. Take that measure of notes, And if you don't desire to be married, 90 plus percent of what we're talking about in this series applies to relationships, healthy relationships. Now, obviously, some things that we're talking about are specifically for marriage, but much of what we're talking about applies to healthy relationship, all right? So this weekend, we're we're kind of covering some some negative stuff, all right, since we're, we're starting off And the title of the message is Marriage on the Brink. A Marriage on the Brink. We're going to talk about three things that can leave a marriage in a really bad place. And and whether your marriage you feel like is in a really good place right now, or whether your marriage isn't in the best place, it doesn't even matter. These three things, individually or even more dangerously, collectively, can destroy a marriage, all right? So take good notes if you don't want your marriage to be destroyed, all right? Here's the first thing that can be extremely detrimental to marriage God's way. Here's point number one, a lack of covenant. A lack of covenant. I learned this almost 20 years ago from Pastor Jimmy Evans, the difference between contract and covenant. For those of you who were at the conference this weekend, he can hardly talk without covering the idea of a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. But I think we need to take a look at kind of the typical state of most marriages. And and most marriages don't actually have a covenant. What they have is kind of a a thinly veiled contract. And, And here's the difference. A contract involves two people. A covenant involves at least two people. And and here's what a contract says. A contract says, okay, I will do this if you do that. Okay, there's a big if in there. I'll do my part if you do your part. Now, can anybody see the trouble that might cause? What happens in a marriage where both people are saying that exact same thing? You have the person on this side saying, I will do this, I will do my part, as long as you do your part. And the person over here is going, well, I'll do my part as long as you do your part. And what they have is a stalemate and a stale marriage. 
because they're waiting for the other person to go first. Whereas in a covenant, here's what happens. In a covenant, someone says, here is what I commit to do no matter what. This is what I am binding myself to no matter what you do. We, we hear the vows that are typically spoken at a wedding in sickness and in health. Till death do us part or until I get frustrated with you. We say the right thing, but many aren't doing the right thing. Many are living life in marriage with a contract. Well, I'll do this, but you better make sure you do that first. No, no, no. A covenant says, here is what I am going to do no matter what. And the best marriage is when two people enter into a covenant with one another. And the strongest covenant there is on the earth is what is called a blood covenant. A blood covenant. And the reason that a blood covenant is the strongest is because it is a reminder. When, when the skin is cut and blood is drawn and a, a covenant is enacted using the blood, that blood serves as a reminder of the punishment if I break the vow. Now, have you ever wondered how God sees marriage? Does God see marriage more contractually? Or does he see it more covenantally? Which do you think? A covenant, right? Because that sounds like the right answer, right? But let's just see in the scripture if God kind of makes it known whether he sees marriage contractually or covenantally. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. But for those who are married, Paul says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him, and the husband must not leave his wife. Okay, that doesn't sound like a contract. It sounds like a covenant. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 goes even further. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What does that mean? God is letting us know that divorce will always cause pain. You don't need to feel overwhelmed or overridden with guilt and shame if you've been divorced before. Here's what you need to hear. Divorce might be simple in a person's mind, but when it comes to the heart, divorce is one of the most dangerous things on the earth. God says, I hate divorce. And here's why. Because it, it is cruel to your spouse. It hurts them. It's not good for them. God makes it very clear the way he sees marriage, covenantally, that the only thing that can break a covenant is my death. Now, of course, we can go in scripturally, there are a few grounds for divorce, but most people who get divorced don't experience them. 
more people get divorced because of frustration than they do scriptural basis for doing so. Well, we're just not in love anymore. Show me where that is in scripture. You can't find it. Can't go to God and say, well, Lord, you know, we, we, we just, we just, we really don't love each other anymore. And find God saying, you know what? I'm going to change my mind on this one. It's okay. I hate divorce usually, but since the two of you aren't in love anymore, I'm going to make, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you an exemption because you're not in love anymore. I mean, no one wants to be in marriage any longer when they're not in love, right? Go ahead, divorce. Does that sound like something God would say? Of course it doesn't. Why? Because he sees it as a covenant, not as a contract. Now, a contract kind of sounds like this, just so we're on the same page as we start the series. A contract sounds like this, whether it's spoken or not. Hey, you deserve to really be with someone that you love. And so do I. I deserve to be with someone that I really love. And if you were to be honest, you know, you just don't feel that way about me anymore. And if I were to be honest, I don't really feel that way about you anymore. We just don't love each other anymore. And that's okay. Do you want to be miserable for the rest of your life? I certainly don't want to be miserable for the rest of my life. This is going to be hard for both of us, but we both know it's the right thing. We just need to get a divorce. Okay, that's what a contract sounds like what does a covenant sound like I'll read it to you in scripture you know this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible Ruth chapter 1 verse 15 covenant sounds like this do not ask me to leave you don't ask me to turn back wherever you go I will go wherever you live I will live your people will be my people your God will be my God wherever you die I will die And there, I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This is what covenant sounds like. If you're in marriage, if you're married and you're in this room or listening to this message online, I have a question for you. Do you speak more in contractual terms or covenantal terms? when you talk to your spouse? Well, Preston, how do I know? When you speak in contractual terms, what you do is always dependent on what they do first. But when you speak in covenantal terms, it doesn't matter what they do or what they've done. You know what is right in God's eyes and that's what you are going to do. Marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And any marriage that has a lack of a covenant is setting itself up for failure at some point. That leads us to point number two, lack of honesty. A marriage with a lack of honesty is a marriage that will move closer and closer to the brink of failure. It's funny, I I ask people, uh, I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. I don't do uh, that much anymore because of this job I now have. But when I used to do a lot of marriage counseling, I would ask couples this question. Do you feel like you have a strong marriage? And it's amazing 
what percentage of them would say, yeah, yeah, we feel like we have a strong marriage. And then I would ask them a follow-up question. On what do you base that? What makes you say we have a strong marriage? And I've heard some crazy things. I've heard men say, I heard a man one time say, well, we have sex five times a week. Oh, we had a couple more sessions after that one. Yeah, that's great. But that doesn't make, just in and of itself, a strong marriage. I've had couples say, well, we get together and have a date night once a week. That's great. That doesn't automatically mean a strong marriage. How do you know you have a strong marriage? Here's how you know. How much of the truth can your marriage handle? That's how you know you have a strong marriage. Marriage is simply a bridge that God created. And one of the things he created to do with that bridge or to be done with that bridge is for truth to come across the bridge from one to another in a trusting environment. How much of the truth can your marriage handle? Do you even know? How do you know your marriage can't handle the truth? Well, every time the truth comes up, it starts a fight. In a healthy marriage, truth comes up when we talk. In an unhealthy marriage, whenever truth comes up, it starts a four-alarm fire. Can your marriage handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? And you know you're all thinking of one line in one movie right now. You can't handle the truth. I'm not going to show that clip. In order to have a strong bridge, a strong marriage that can handle the truth, you've got to be able to make three commitments related to honest communication. Here's the first commitment. I will not live according to my truth. I will not live according to my truth. Have you ever listened to yourself tell stories about yourself when you were in high school? Have you ever sat back just to listen to yourself, the way you talk about yourself? You make yourself sound like a Heisman Trophy winner. You make yourself sound like the, the prom queen. When I, I, I catch myself doing this every once in a while where I'll start telling the story of a game that I played in. And it, it, it's like, I'll, I'll start to think, wait a minute. I, I was not as good as I've convinced myself I was. I, I, I mean, I tell stories and I think I was amazing. Uh, I wasn't that amazing. I was a, at a, a 3A private school, okay? <laughs> Colleges weren't knocking the doors down to get me to come play for them, but in my mind they were. Have you ever noticed that there's the story you tell yourself about you, and then there's the real truth about you? How close are the two? How close is the story you tell about you to the real truth about you? What kind of sense would it make for me to walk around and talk about how robust my head of hair is? Would it make much sense? That was not really supposed to be a joke. But it wouldn't make much sense, would it? Why? Because the truth is obvious and has been since I was 17. But if I walked around trying to convince people 
that my hair was amazing and the best hair on planet earth. No one would listen to me. Why? Because I've convinced myself of a lie that I call the truth. Think about this in your marriage. How often will your spouse listen to your version of the truth that you bring to tell them about them when they watch you walk around believing a lie you tell about yourself? They're not going to listen to your truth about them if you walk around believing a lie about you. So what truth do we live by? Not my truth. Not even your truth. We're called to live by God's truth. Psalm 86 verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Psalm 25 verse 5, lead me by your truth and teach me. If you're going to have an honest relationship, it starts by saying, I am not going to live by my truth. I'm going to live by his, which is the truth. I'm not going to conveniently change the truth about myself. I'm going to seek God's truth about me. Here's the second commitment we have to make. I will share the truth in love. If we're going to have a marriage that can handle the truth, the second commitment we have to make, I will share the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Speaking the truth in love helps me grow in every way more and more like Christ. Here, here's another way to say that. The heart behind what you say is just as important as the truth you speak. If you, you've been married for any amount of time, you've learned this. There, there are two things you can do with the truth. You can use it for good, or you can twist it and use it for bad. You see, the truth can help someone, but it can also be used to hurt them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says this, Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Make a commitment. When you speak the truth, you're going to do so in love. Have you ever gotten into an argument and you've seen some things go on for a couple of years and you've just made a, a mental notation of them and, and you don't really do anything with it until you get into that one fight where your spouse starts pushing your buttons and you reach back like four years and grab the truth, but you sharpen it and stab them with it. Oh, of course you've never done that before, right? Because every time you tell the truth, you want to help, not hurt. Well, that's the goal, but that isn't always what we do. God never desires that we take the truth and turn it into a weapon that we use against the people we love. Make a commitment. I'm going to speak the truth in love, which means if I see you start to hurt when I'm telling the truth, 
I'm going to step back and make sure it's not because I'm hurting you. Now, sometimes the truth hurts. But listen, if I'm sharing the truth with Holly and she's being hurt by it, no matter how true it is, part of my responsibility as her husband is to help her get to a place where the truth helps, not hurts. So I have to help find the right place in her heart for that truth to land. I cannot just throw it at her like a weapon. You're either gonna use the truth to help the one you love, but you could also use it to hurt. Make a commitment that you're gonna help every time you share the truth. Here's the third commitment we have to make. And this is a big one. I will look for the right time to share the truth. I will look for the right time to share the truth. How many of you know that the right thing said at the wrong time isn't right? Anybody ever done it before? Yeah, you, you see it at, at children's sporting events where a kid does something wrong and the dad yells out, I tried to tell you, do this. Well, he's right, but he looks like an imbecile, okay? The right thing to do is at the batting cages, help your child on what to do next time. The wrong time to bring up that truth is there at the game in front of all of their friends and in front of your family. Okay, in the same way. If you have a bad day at the office and you just feel like taking it out on somebody and you walk into your home and the first words out of your mouth are to take a truthful statement but to throw it right in their face, it's wrong. Let me make kind of a strong statement. I have seen people in marriage abused with the truth simply because their spouse refused to wait for the timing that God led them to lay that truth down before their spouse. But we all know when we think we're right, we have to say it now, right? I want you to know something about being right. The truth doesn't make you right. The truth just makes you a hearer of what is right. The truth doesn't make you right. I want you to think about this the next time you see your spouse making some repetitive mistakes in the same area. And you just sense the Holy Spirit leading you to do something about it. The time to do something about it is not at the party with all of your friends. And I've watched this before. I've watched women completely uncover and expose their husbands in a room full of friends. And what they were saying, unfortunately, wasn't untrue, but it was the wrong place and the wrong time to display the truth. Okay, let me ask you a question. In your marriage, as it relates to the truth, what percentage of the time is your timing God-honoring? I know you've heard the truth, 
I know you've heard it. But the second part of hearing the truth that God gives us is hearing the right time to share it. There's a right time. And if you're going to have the kind of marriage that allows you to handle the truth in love, you're going to have to understand timing. You can't just blurt it out and say it whenever you feel like it. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. Oh, how good it is. Here's the goal in your marriage as it relates to communicating the truth. That every time you share the truth, that your spouse would come away going, oh, that was so good. It hurt a little bit, but man, that was so good. I needed that. I've been bumping my head up against this wall, and I didn't know what to do. But you just helped me understand what I need to be doing to get over this hump. Thank you for sharing the truth with me. Part of that involves saying it at the right time. And if you have children and you're married, can I just tell you? It's not the right time to bring it up in front of the children. Well, we, we have the kind of marriage, we, we just say whatever's on our minds. Do you let your children live by that rule? No, you don't. Listen to me carefully. Then stop it. You are teaching your children how to fight in an ungodly manner in an unrestrained manner when you say, we just have the kind of marriage where we say whatever we want whenever we want. Tell me where submission to the Holy Spirit is in that equation. We can't just say whatever we want whenever we feel like it. We have to receive the truth from the Lord, but then we have to receive the timing of the Lord to share it. That brings us to the third thing that will take us to the brink of failure in marriage and this is the biggie a lack of sacrifice a lack of sacrifice I'm going to give you two sub points here and one of them is going to stretch you so I'll give you the easier one first real love requires real sacrifice real love requires real sacrifice first John chapter 3 verse 16 we know what real love is how do we know what real love is? Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, think about this for a second. If you're married, if the Bible tells you that you should give up your life for your brothers and sisters, how much more should you give up your life for your spouse? We're called the sacrifice. Think about this. The Bible says the way we know what real love is, is we have watched real love in action. Jesus laying his life down for you. That's real love. Okay. Ladies, let me speak to you for a moment. When you were seven and eight, and you were, you were just writing out the story of your preferred future, about your dream boy, did anyone write and there, there are a couple of paragraphs about their future husband. I am really hoping for fake love. 
I'm really hoping for a man who tells me to my face that he loves me, but behind my back hates me. I'm really hoping that I marry a man who says they love me to my face, but actually loves others more than they love me. Did any young lady ever write that down in her diary that that's the marriage she hoped to have? Okay, then here would be my question, ladies. How do you know when you find real love? Here's part of the answer to that question. When you find someone who will sacrifice for you more than anyone else will. Real love requires real sacrifice. Here's another way to say it. You're never going to find love in the dollar section of the store. One of my wife's favorite places to shop is in the dollar section of Target. That girl can find things for a dollar that I, I, I don't even know what she does or how she does it. She will come back and my first thought is, how much did you spend? And she'll go, a dollar. Have you ever seen someone go to the dollar store and look for something far more expensive than a dollar? Hey, uh, do you guys have TVs here? No one asks that question at the dollar store. Why? Because they know what they're going to find at the dollar store is things worth a dollar. Listen to me closely. You will never find love in the dollar store. Now, That doesn't mean that you can buy love, but it most certainly does mean you are going to have to pay for it. You can't buy it, but you do have to pay for it. And the price is sacrifice. What does sacrifice look like? Laying down what you least want to let go of and doing what you least want to do. On Friday... I was pulling up to our house and my wife was out front and we we live in a house that was built in the 70s and the people that lived there before us loved plants and trees and we have 20 to 30 year old plants everywhere uh, at our house and, and these things are literally taking over the world starting in our front yard, okay? I mean, they're just, they're huge. And she's out there on my roof chopping down these bushes that are really like forests, okay? And I pull up and here was my first thought. Sweet mother of Mephibosheth, she's gonna want me to help. I just came home from lunch. I gotta go into my office and finish my notes. And she is going to ask me to reach. I can see the branch that she can't reach. And she is going to throw me the loppers. And that's going to be her hook to get me in this mess. Sure enough, when you've been married to somebody for nearly 20 years, you know. I get out of the car. She's got the loppers. She goes, babe, I cannot reach the branch right over there. I said, that one right there, the one I just sat in the car thinking, it's going to be that one. And she throws the loppers down. Says, babe, can you, can you chop that off? Yeah, babe, absolutely, no problem. I'm in flip-flops and we are chopping down these huge bushes with thorns, massive thorns, okay? And she's been cutting them down and they're all around the ground and I'm in flip-flops, all right? So I'm wading through the, these branches and bushes with thorns everywhere, 
trying not to get stabbed and I cut down the branch and I am literally taking a big first step to try and send a message, I'm done, I did what you asked me to do. And I mean, before my foot could touch the ground, she throws the saw down, says, babe, can you start cutting down the branches down at the base that are like this big around with a handsaw? I did not want to do that on a Friday afternoon. Except I saw that look in my wife's eyes. And I've seen it plenty of times. And here was the look. I really want this to be done. It was not the look of, if you love me, you'll do this. It was, I really want to get this done before bulk trash. Can you help me? Yeah, babe, absolutely I'll help you. I will pay someone to do it. (laughs) Man, we chopped those things down. I felt like Paul Bunyan by the end of Friday. Our, Our boys got home from the bus stop and they pull up to the front of the house and my youngest son goes, Daddy, what in the world is going on? And all I could think to say was, it's called love, son. Real love requires real sacrifice. Now, is chopping down some trees real sacrifice? No, that's not a big deal. But it's the principle behind it. You see, I didn't really want to be doing that in that moment. And what sacrifice says is this. When it is least convenient for me, it is probably most convenient for the one I love. Real love requires real sacrifice. Here's the second thing. Real sacrifice is really sexy. Real sacrifice is really sexy. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Christ's sacrifice when he laid his life down, scripture says, was a pleasing aroma to God. Well, in Preston's translation, that simply means real sacrifice is really sexy. Mmm, that smells good. Sacrifice always smells good to the one you love. Always. Real sacrifice is real sexy. Now, If you go back into biblical times, you will find something called the dowry system. And when I do a wedding, I will typically teach for a moment on this because I think it's very beneficial for couples to understand what real love is supposed to look like. See, here's how the dowry system went. A young man would go to an older man and ask for that man's daughter's hand in marriage. And when he did, he would pay a price. And the price that he would pay was the price that the girl's father had set. And it was always an almost irrationally high number. When everyone would look at that young lady and say, well, she's probably worth three cows. 
This father would say, 300 cows. The father would set a crazy high amount, a price to be paid for his little girl. Now, the question begs being asked, was the father trying to get rich off of his little girl? Is that why he did it? Was he looking for a way to get rich? I don't think so. See, here's what I think. I think that daddy wanted his little girl to wake up every morning for the rest of her life looking at a man who was willing to pay a price for her that no one else dared even come close to. You see, real sacrifice in marriage, I mean the kind of sacrifice that overwhelms the one you love, causes them to wake up every morning and look at you with your eyes still closed, snoring the heavens down, and yet still look at you and say, out of all the girls in the history of the world, I can't believe God gave you to me. Out of all the men in the history of the world, I can't believe God gave you to me. I can't believe I get to be married to you because no one in my life lays their life down for me the way you do. That's attractive. I'm gonna say something that might shock some of you. I don't know if it's appropriate or not. I've never said it publicly before. I am not worried about my wife cheating on me. And here's why. Because it's gonna take a man a long, long time to catch up to me and how much I have paid for that amazing girl over the last 20 years of my life. He might walk into the room and be better looking than me. That's gonna be hard. (laughs) I tell myself the truth about me, I wanna believe. (laughs) I didn't say I actually practiced what I taught you. He might have more money than me. He might be able to preach better than me. He might be more amazing than me. There are a lot of people out there who beat me in those categories, but so help me God, not one of them will ever come close to paying the price I pay for that sweet girl. My wife isn't here in in this service, but I promise you this, she loves it when I talk like this. And here's why, because it's not a speech. It was a decision I made 20 years ago to try and love her the way Christ loves me. That's to lay my life down for her. Every chance I possibly get. I went to the bank this last week. I needed to pull some money out. And I walked in and I started filling out the deposit slip. And I had the thought, I'm gonna try and pull $2 million out of this account. I'm just gonna see what happens. 
So I wrote in two, zero, 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 zero. I went to the window of the cashier and I slid across my request to withdraw $2 million from my account. Before you start thinking, man, he's loaded. The cashier looked at me and said, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Morrison, but I'm unable to fulfill this request. Huh, what? Just give me my money. I'm sorry, Mr. Morrison, but you don't have that much in your account. I can give you $12.87 though. <laughs> I don't want $12.87. I want $2 million. Do you really think I did that at the bank this week? Why? Because nobody in their right mind walks into the bank and demands more from their account than they've put into it then why do we have so many people in marriage cursing their spouses in their hearts when the problem isn't them? The problem is I have not deposited enough sacrifice into the account. And all I do is think about withdrawal, 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 but the problem is I've only deposited $12.87 over the years. Marriage is one of the most amazing things on the earth but it is also one of the most expensive you'll never get to enjoy the benefits of a healthy marriage if you never make the decision to pay the price for it if your marriage is on the brink of a really bad place Maybe failure, maybe divorce. Can I tell you, don't believe the lie of the enemy that would say, the problem is them. No, here's the problem. And I've spent enough time with couples to know, the problem isn't the individual personalities of the two people. Here's the problem. There's not enough in the account. Marriage has many benefits but you will never get to enjoy them without paying for them I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes moment I want to ask you a question that my mentor often asks after a message what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to share some truth about you that you refuse to receive can I tell you 
you're not going to go any further until you embrace the truth. Maybe you're here and you're so frustrated with your spouse that everything you do has a passive-aggressive tone. Maybe you've convinced yourself that they're the problem. But you're hearing the Holy Spirit say it's been three and a half years since you deposited a dime into this account. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? In a moment, when I'm done praying, Matt's going to lead us in one more song. And if you're here and you just need to pray with somebody, based on what you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you. Maybe it's about the message, maybe it's not. There are gonna be some people at the front of this room when I'm done praying. I would love to pray with you. So if you need it, come get it. Holy Spirit, I pray right now for every person in this room. I pray you'd be speaking so clearly to each one of our hearts. I pray our hearts would be wide open to receive your truth, especially the truth we're most afraid to admit is true about ourselves. I pray for every marriage in this room. I pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment that you would be operating as the third strand in this cord. Minister to every one of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.